Okay, so third week of Advent. Week one we did God in us. Week two of Advent, God among us. And today, Peter Evis is going to share God through us. Let's welcome Peter. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, So uh, John's question was like, did you ever celebrate Advent as, um, you know, when you were growing up? And uh, we kind of knew Christmas was around. I don't know if we called it Advent, but we did always have these things called Advent calendars. Did you guys have that? There were like these little things where you open the door and there would be like a chocolate inside. Yeah. Yeah. You had those, right? So that was my only real kind of knowledge of the word Advent. And, um, you know, I have this like, like Labrador, this dog and like, you know, he's he's nearly killed himself like three times from, you know, eating Halloween candy and stuff like that. But one year I remember he actually got the advent calendar and like opened every door. Even though he's got these massive paws and this slobbering mouth, he was able to, like, I mean, what, those dogs, when they want something, they, like, become geniuses. Do you know what I mean? Like, um, Nance, you know that, don't you? Yeah, exactly. So um, she has a Labrador herself. Um, so, yeah, Advent. And um, thanks, everyone, for coming. Uh, I know how hard it is to be here on, you know, you know the season of the Christmas parties. Who was at a Christmas party last night? See? See how hard... What's wrong with the rest of you? Come on. (laughs) I was at one, and um, I limited myself, because they were mixing, like, they had, like, a house cocktail. You know, it was like a boulevardier. Do you know what that is? You do? What is it, then? Yeah. And some other stuff, yeah. And, like, I, it could easily have been, like, a, you know, a good night, but I stuck to one because I knew I'd be here, right? So I have, like, I think, no, just one cocktail. By the end of that evening, I was there for, like, three hours, and this, this like little trickle left in the glass was, like, warm. Do you know what I mean? That's how dis- much discipline I was able to show, you know, with the Boulevardier. Um, but, uh, so I have the moral authority to stand here. And, <laughs> preach to you. <laughs> um, so yeah, Advent. Um, now, Advent is the, you know, this period leading up to Jesus's birth. And we look, it's a great time to look at what it means for Jesus to have come in the world, come into the world, and what, what his birth means for us today, because obviously it continues to have meaning. And Sarah talked last week about Christmas and community, and she talked about how church uh, can create an engaged community where we can all get so much out of church. And, you know, I was sitting there and I was thinking, you know, like looking back at 2017 and, and I was like, yeah, this church continues to play, the river continues to play a big part in my life. You know, things go on here, things get said here. Uh, that have helped and inspired me over the years that I've been here. I've been here for like quite a few years. And what I was realizing is that as my life enters new phases, as I encounter new challenges or I get surprising new needs, you know, as you get older, you're like, you know, (laughs) you find out like all these new needs that you have. Um, I'm sure you have them when you're younger too. But like, I found that the river has really helped me engage with these changes. Like, it's like, 
I don't hunker down and try and remain like I am. And no, the river does something different. It sort of gives me the space to be like, to engage with these changes that are going on in my life and in this world. I mean, 2017 has been kind of a, kind of a weird year you know, outside of our personal lives. And the river's helped me engage with that too. And I'm thinking, why, why has this been such a, an important place for me in that respect? And I was thinking that, that I think it's because the river promotes an approach to faith that for me is both flexible and vibrant. Okay, I feel excited about my faith here, but I also feel it has a flexibility that allows me to apply it to where I am today. And in that mix, you know, fresh things happen in this church. I was thinking about Amy's talk from a few weeks back where she, you know, explored what it is to see God as a mother. And that, I didn't expect that talk. I hadn't really given that much thought to it, but it kind of hit me from left field. And I was completely, you know, one part of me was completely transformed by it. It hit me in a really good place. And, you know, that sort of stuff has been happening to me in 2017. It's been great to be in the river for this year. And I wanted to explore today one of the things that has been really big for me. And it had to do with how I viewed and used the Bible. Now, let me just say to start out that, you know, all of my faith life, I started to follow Jesus in my mid-20s. I've understood that like, if you have a really you know, rigid attachment to the Bible, it can make your faith dry and narrow. Okay? I knew that because if you read the Bible, Jesus constantly warns about <clears throat> you know, reflexive or self-serving application of the written law to your life. He makes you know, lots of teachings about that and how that can go wrong. <clears throat> and the Christians I hung out with from the beginning of my faith journey were also very good at identifying this danger. I recall that... <clears throat> Excuse me. That in the course that introduced me to Christianity, the speaker would jokingly caution against, you know, the fake Trinity that it consisted of Father, Son, and Holy Bible. Um, what what should it be? Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit. <clears throat> and you know th- th- that was the fake Trinity. Just like you can have fake news, you can have a fake Trinity. And um, and of course, at the river, we've always said, you know. You know, that's the way we work with the way we roll is we've often said, like, don't get bogged down in the micro disputes of the Bible, but embrace all the wonderful things that Jesus is doing through the Holy Spirit today in your lives. That's kind of how we see faith. And I head up the prayer team, and that's a place where we try and listen to God and in real time. And <clears throat> while our ministry, the way we carry it out, is based on the Bible, things that Jesus did and the things he taught, we are open to what the Holy Spirit is doing today. That's how we approach things. So I've always been aware <clears throat> of, this, of this danger of using the Bible in such a way that we might miss specific real-time things that the living God is doing in our lives. And... Um, is that I've long known that, you know, if you try and, like, pursue this textual God, you'll miss out because, we really, we should be following a living God. But this year, I realized that I was still, you know, getting a lot of angst from the Bible and how I was handling the Bible. And let me describe what was going on in my head as that was happening, what was creating that angst. And what was happening was that something at the back of my mind was always working away, trying to, you know, f- assess whether I, what I was doing was really in line with the Bible or not. And often I never really reached a strong conclusion because it really probably wasn't possible to reach a strong conclusion. But nevertheless, this sort of 
I would call it a second-guessing voice was using up a lot of energy back there. And it tended to make me defensive. It kind of sapped me of enthusiasm for the things I wanted to do. And I think the reason for that is like one part of my brain knew, you know, 100%. Like faith is not supposed to be bogged down in textual disputes. You're supposed to be freed up to go and do great things for God. But, what, but it was going on. And so it was creating what I would call um, this sort of like tension, this tug of war. And, and this angst. And that angst diminished something else. And it, it, it diminished the thing that I want to talk about today, which is meaning, okay? We're talking about how ad- Advent, Jesus coming, can bring meaning into our lives. And when I talk about meaning today, I'm talking about the fulfillment and joy that comes from being engaged with the exact circumstances that we find ourselves in. Okay, let me say that again, because it's a very specific okay, uh, definition of meaning. It's the fulfillment and joy that comes from being truly engaged with the circumstances that we find ourselves in in 2017 in New York City. Now, God loves to help us find meaning. You know, a lot of life stems from that nexus of faith and the circumstances that we find ourselves in. And so it's important that we sort of think about this today. And I think one of the first points I wanted to make is that it's important to realize that each of our meaning will be different, okay? Each of us are just very different from each other because we come from different places, we grew up in different cultures, um, we have a different genetic makeup, um, and we have different circumstances going on today. So, you know, when, you know, John Firstly wakes up in the morning, his head's going to be filled with certain things, and mine's going to be filled with other things. There's not going to be much overlap in that respect, okay? Um, he'll be, like, thinking about what guitar he might want to buy, and I'll be thinking about, like, what camera I want to buy. Do you know what I mean? There's, there's all these different, like, pathways that we're treading us you know, all the time in these very particular lives that we leave. And, and, and that's good, okay? I want to make it really absolutely clear this morning that we are special. We are unique. We, we have value. You know, God sees us as people who have individual value, that our paths, the paths that we tread each day, also have value. And I like how Oliver Sacks once put it. He was like a doctor who wrote great books about life. And he said, when people die, they cannot be replaced. They leave holes that cannot be filled. For it is the fate, the genetic and neural fate of every human being to be a unique individual, to find his own path, to live his own life, to die his own death. When we die, we cannot be replaced. There will be no one else to take over my spot. So this is it. This is me. This is now. This is, let's, may as well make the most of it. And this is our one chance to find like unique meaning that gives us fulfillment and joy. And that's what, you know, a big part of what faith is about. Now the problem is, and the opportunity also, as you'll see today, the people of faith usually have one main text in their religion that they use to try and pursue meaning in their lives, okay? And that's great. I'm not saying that that text shouldn't be there. It absolutely should. But How we handle that text can determine how engaged we are with our lives, with our God, with the people around us. And sometimes when we engage with that text, you know, in the Bible for Christians, it leads to this tug of war. No, if you think about it, 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 it's inevitable it's going to happen. If I'm living my life in 2017 
in New York City um, as a Christian, trying to live my life to the full. And I have this book, which is thousands of years old, the Bible. There's going to be times when they clash or when they don't seem to work well together. It's just impossible for a 2,000-year-old-plus book to be able to meet every you know, need that I have or be able to shed light onto everything that's going on in my life. And let me just say, some of that is good, okay? The fact that we have this great book called the Bible, it, we should allow it to challenge us. It, it should you know, shed light. It should jolt us to be more aware about, about the things going on in our lives and what other people's needs are and things like that. But... That tug of war, if we're not careful, can drag us away from the bigger things that God is up to, that he wants for us. And in that sense, it can be de-energizing, as I described later, that was going on in my life. And so my, my proposal today is that there is a way forward where we can engage with the Bible as we live out fully the specific circumstances of our lives, okay? We can get the most out of this great book called the Bible and not be afraid to just enjoy our life as it is today in 2017. And the river has really helped me with this this year. There's a lot of things that Charles and, you know, Sarah and John and Carolyn have been teaching has really helped me, sort of freed me up to be able to do that. But let's look at a passage from the Bible to see, us, see this subject more clearly. It, it's about the Christmas events. It involves Jesus' conception and birth. And it centers on Joseph, um, Jesus' father. This is from Matthew, the first chapter of Matthew. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. I love that line. You know, wow. Cool. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When, Jesus, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. So everyone's clear what's happening in this passage, right? A little awkward? Yeah? You know, Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. She becomes pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And the actions of Joseph are... Pretty noble in my, in, in my mind. Anyway, here they are. Because Joseph, her husband, was <clears throat> faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. So how would you sum up Joseph's rea reaction? I kind of like it. You know, it's like, it's like sitting there and he's like, okay, well, <clears throat> this isn't going to work out, is it? You know, I really think the world of this Mary and, uh, but, you know, she's pregnant. I'm not sure why. And, um, <laughs> but I don't want to shame her, do I? I mean, look, that wouldn't be nice. I really think she's an amazing girl. So I'm going to quietly move on. Nothing to see here. Cup of tea, anyone? 
Joseph was definitely British. And um, <laughs> But he didn't do that, did he? Because you know what God did? God intervened. He said, look, Joseph, don't go back to the law here, okay? The Bible won't help you here, okay? Don't go back to the text in this instance, okay? Because it will get in the way of the actual circumstances in your life as I want you to live it today, which involves me doing something huge. And this intervention from God happens again and again in the Bible. See, the Bible critiques the handling of the Bible. It always says, like, don't take me, um, you know, don't, don't use me as an absolute. Use God as the absolute in some ways. He says, okay, so God has to, you know, again and again, what will happen is that God has to tell someone to put, you know, the classic interpretation of the law, the application of the law aside so that something much more constructive and loving can happen in its place. And we see that again and again and again, interestingly. And usually what happens is some sort of breakthrough move by God. In this case, it was the birth of Jesus, of course. But, but sometimes I think that God also you know, wants to, to tell us not to apply the Bible so rigidly. Um, because you know, if, if, if we clench it, if we clench the law so, so tightly, it's going to drag us backwards. And again, you see this in the Bible. You know, people will feel, you know, the Bible will describe how a certain group of people feel confused or angry or vengeful or frightened by their circumstances. And so they gain a sense of safety and clarity by applying the law. You know, the book, they, they allow the book to validate the ugly thing they feel inside them. If you think about it, think about the toxic forces behind the mob that wanted to stone the woman caught in adultery. Think about that mob, okay? They had this sort of desire to, like, kill this woman. And what do they resort to? What do they point to um, when they decide they want to do that? The law of Moses. And of course, Jesus demolishes the mob's handling of scripture in that case. And, and he does a really good job of saying, no, 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 it doesn't apply. Something bigger is going to happen. So let's quickly recap to see where we've gotten to today. I think, first of all, God wants us to place huge potential and value on, the, on our lives as they are lived today. Okay? We're not supposed to wait around for some amazing religious existence. Okay? Be confident in knowing that our lives today are the lives we're supposed to live. Okay? We will not be replaced when we die. This is us now. This is all we've got. Okay? This is who we are now. Okay? We're not waiting for this sort of big revolution to happen. It happens now. Okay? It is happening now. We're valuable. Joseph was valuable. So that's why God decided to use him in the way he did and speak to him in the way he did. <coughs> God wants us to have meaning in the midst of our individual lives. Okay? Jesus, you know, came into the world, you know, through the Christmas events as Emmanuel, God with us, so that when we have this thirst for meaning, which we all have, by the way, we will have someone to go to who will point us on a path where we'll find that meaning. And that person will be beside us, and that person is Jesus, because Jesus is Emmanuel. Okay? Second, the purpose of our relationship with God is not to become more obedient to Scripture. That is not the purpose of faith, okay? The purpose of faith is to enjoy our relationship with God more. Okay? The purpose of faith is to enjoy our relationship with God more and to live well with other people. 
Okay? And scripture is only helpful as long as it allows us to pursue those two things. And any time it doesn't, we need to take a step back and go to Jesus, Holy Spirit, and say, oh, this piece in the Bible has given me such, you know, it's making me feel unsettled, it's making me feel angry, it's making me not like people. What do I do with it? And Jesus will come and help you with that. I believe he will. And third, as we saw in the passage on, 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 on Joseph, we should trust the nudges that we think we're getting from God. Okay, We should trust those nudges that we're getting from God. And Joseph did not quietly divorce Mary. He, he followed God's guidance and was able to do that because he could see that scripture didn't apply in that situation because he had this sort of very interesting situation going on in the circumstances of his life as he was leading it out then. But let's talk about these nudges from God, okay? These are a scary topic for some people. You know, the idea that God um, might communicate with us personally creates a lot of unease for some of us. You know, I think for good reason, and one reason is there's always that thought at the back of our minds, which is, what about all those crazy people who said they heard from God and when they explained why they did some evil act? You know, what, what, what do we do with that, okay? Well, what we do with that is like, well, of course they didn't hear from God, okay? So that's taken care of. Um, (laughs) But a much more common example, which I think we've all felt and still grapple with, is we may have felt like we got a nudge from God and we went ahead with it and we did something on the basis of it and it didn't turn out how we expected and we ended up disappointed. And, And so we're like demoralized or a little scared to do it some more, right? That's kind of a more common more usable situation. And so we might think, okay, why bother taking this risk? You know, my, you know, why would I try and live out this one-on-one relationship with God if it seems risky like that? And it seems a lot safer to go to back to this textual God, you know, this God who seems to be, even though he's not, he seems to be constant in the Bible and consistent. At least we can argue over something that's kind of over there rather than like worry about whether God's actually speaking to us. And, you know, a lot of people in faith love to argue about the textual God and, you know, so what? Who cares? But, but, um, but my point today is there actually, there is a way to pursue a communicative relationship with God and not go off the rails, okay? And to be able to deal with things like disappointment. And I think the approach works because it came from Jesus, and he explained it, and it involves just keeping two kind of bedrock principles in mind as we pursue our faith. And it was Jesus who gave us those two principles, and they come later in the book of Matthew. Um, Jesus was asked by some of his critics, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he replied, love the Lord your God, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And this is the important point for us. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And I think this is genius on Jesus' part. See, those critics that were talking to him at that period were... They were trying to snag him into that tiresome tug of war where, like, you just lose tons of energy and enthusiasm by, like, you know, narrowly applying some scripture to something that happens today and, like, hoping that it will clarify everything. And they were like, Jesus, come on, take a stance, apply it. You know, you have to give us the right answer because if you don't give us the right answer, then we'll know that you're a fraud, right? That's the sort of angst-ridden kind of, like, de-energizing kind of dynamic of that passage. These were toxic dudes, Right? They were, they were out to get him. 
And Jesus is great here. Like, he doesn't respond with, like, a, you know, like a killer biblical answer, like, where he takes one scripture from, like, Jeremiah or whatever like that. You know, he, he, he takes, he, he just opens things up. Like, he, he says, look, I'm going to give you two things that were kind of important. And if you broadly apply those two principles, you're going to create this area of freedom that will allow you to go really far in faith, and you're going to have a great time doing that. Those two principles are love God, love others. And within that, there's a ton of stuff that you guys can do, and you're going to have a great time doing it. Have at it. Go for it. And I just think that's a wonderful way to approach faith, is just say, okay, broad principles, you know, love God, love others, and whatever you need to do within that, I'll be there with you. The Holy Spirit will come and help you do that, real time. And it's just great. I mean, think about what this approach does versus the textual God approach. It says, like, it's motivating without making us into mindless zealots, okay? It's inspiring without making us detached idealists. These are marching orders, but they don't make us belligerent. They give us these wonderful goals without nailing us down to specific prescriptions from thousands of years ago and all the de-energizing that happens when we do that. And I got a really good lesson on this earlier this year. I was reading this book on an, on an important spiritual practice, and the author was like going into the Bible and extracting all these examples of Jesus doing this spiritual practice. And then the author said that if we carefully copy how Jesus did this spiritual practice, we will most likely get the stellar results that Jesus got. It was like a golf swing approach. If you line everything up, you know, you'll play a, you know, a killer spiritual game. Like, I don't play golf, so I'm not even going to pretend to do the swing. Okay. <laughs> and, I, and as I was reading this book, I, I started to get this negative reaction. I was like, this is really bugging me. And I just started to dig deeper and deeper about why that was. And, I, and, I, and the first thing I had, I just was like, you know what? This has never been like this in my life. I've done all these things, you know, in respect to the spiritual practice. And I have not seen the unbroken success this author was holding up as possible. I mean, I don't know anyone who has in all the different places that I've seen this happen. So, like, I was, first of all, look, I was confident about my own experience. My experience was valuable. It didn't count for nothing, okay? It was there. And more importantly, the recommendations seemed to be so literal that the unseasoned reader, somebody who hadn't done it like me for years, might be forgiven for thinking that God requires some sort of intricate, you know, obedience in certain tasks before he does anything amazing. And to me, that was like, that's exhausting. I would never be able to do that. I would never be able to have fun under that sort of rubric. It would be too much. It would be draining. Um, And besides, Jesus wasn't really asking that. Now... (laughs) I believe that Jesus wants us to do that spiritual act, and we can, of course, learn from him. And I've you know, read the instances in the Bible where he's doing this thing. And you know, I've gotten a lot out of them, and I apply them most of the time. And, but, but our two principles matter more, which is love God and love others. And within those two principles, we have the space to freely try out things um, that suit our circumstances in 2017. And that flexibility results in a faith that can bring meaning into every age, okay, for each one of us. And I think that's, you know, a really important thing to remember about how Jesus operates. So this is the point in the sermon 
where we look at practical ways to do what we have just talked about. And uh, I actually only have one practical suggestion for today, and it goes like this, okay? So, the river is a place where we can practice a vibrant faith that is joyfully engaged with the specific circumstances of our lives. Jump in as we do new things to tell people about that. (laughs) That's like a really poor way of selling something, isn't it? It's like too long. There's no punchy slogan there. And it's sort of like... You know, I'm a reporter by trade, you know, so, like, I can't sell anything. I just, like, want to criticize it, you know. If, I, if someone said, can you sell this thing for me, I'd be like, look, don't buy it. This is the problem. Do you know what I mean? So, like, that's why I'm so bad at, like, creating kind of, like, sales pitches, you know. With that said, this is my best effort, you know. But I mean it. I really mean it. I, I mean, I feel really good about where we're at as a church. I mean, I've sat here through the whole of this year going through some interesting times internally, and this church has really been there for me. It's allowed me to find meaning in the context of my life, as, in my life, as I didn't expect it to be. Right? I mean, like, that's the test, right, of flexibility. Everyone's like, yeah, when I'm 50, I'm going to be doing this, and then my church will be like, no. Certain things were upended in my head, and the church was here for me because God was living here. And I feel really good about that as a church. I mean, I've kind of road tested it in the most difficult terrain, and it came through for me. Not like I'm sitting there, church, come through, come on. No, but it just happened, you know? And I feel good about that. I feel this is a place that we could invite people into no matter where they're at. And they would sense what we're up to. They would feel the freedom that we have here, and they would eventually like it, right? You know, they usually don't like prayer team, right? <laughs> but I can live with that, you know, because eventually they will. No. That we have that space for people is really important. And I think the key principle that we now can just be very confident about is that the river at no time are we going to press people to let go of good things in the name of religion, okay? At no time will this church say to you, okay, no, that's a good thing, but you kind of have to let go of it because it's the Bible, right? I mean, that's the fear, isn't it? That's the big fear that most of us live with um, or did live with. Um, You know, you have really deep friendships with, you know, several gay people or you have women bosses who you, I think, are amazing and you respect them. And you go to church on Sunday and you start to feel that unease because, you know, somebody there is going to say, well, the Bible says women can't lead and that gay marriage is wrong. And you're going to have to be plunged back into that awful tug of war where you're just constantly fighting and de-energizing your faith. That's not going to happen here. Because we're not going to say this good thing has to end because the Bible says it's bad. We're not going to say that. We know it's a good thing. Love God, love others. If it fits that, you know, let it be. And that's how we roll here at the river. That's what we provide, and it's fun. And it's, it's fun because we know that we can, just, we can be freed up to love and engage with the specific circumstances of our lives and with other people's circumstances. We can be more giving in that context. And 
I feel good about that because, like, next year we're going to be in the first part of our next year starting this big marketing campaign. As most of you know, we've had this wonderful gift from, because it is a gift, from um, a marketing firm that is um, one of the leaders at this firm discovered our church, just couldn't believe how great it was, and decided to try and help us with this big marketing push. And we've done a lot of work so far on that. And then uh, the first part of next year, they're going to be producing a flurry of marketing, you know, across different platforms. And it's going to be like, you know, you've already tasted some of it and you've been in some of the videos and it's just going to be wonderful. And it's, you know, doing on a semi-volunteer basis. So they are so like totally into the church and they, they're even volunteering their time and, and stuff like that. And for me, I just can't wait because now we have this marketing push at the same time as we feel totally great about this space that we have. And, you know, my final point, let's just jump in. Let's just jump in and have a great time doing this because we know we have what people will like. That's it.